Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by being, making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. If we have not met, my name is James, and I am one of the, the pastors here. And like I say every week, it is an honor uh, that you would come and worship with us this morning. And if we haven't met, I'd love to meet you after the service. And for the rest of us, if you have your Bibles, we are going to be, as you see on the screen, we're going to be continuing in our teaching series in the book of Luke. Uh, So if you have your Bibles, turn to Luke. We're going to be looking at verses 67 through 80. And what we've been doing over the past few weeks is we have been in a series where we are seeking to get face-to-face with the very person of Jesus Christ, which is found in the Gospels. And so we want to study together the birth, the life, the death, the burial, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus as recorded in Luke's Gospels. And so if you are able, in honor of reading God's Word, would you stand with me? We're going to be looking at verses 67 through 80. And as just to give a little bit of context, just to remind you of where we are, Earlier in this chapter, the angel Gabriel came to Zechariah and said, In your old age, your wife is going to have a baby. His name is going to be called John. He did not believe God, and so God caused him to be mute, could not talk for nine months. Last week, Pastor Terry shared that John was born, and uh, Zechariah's tongue was loosed, and he began to praise God. This is what Zechariah said. And this is the word of God. So we're in Luke chapter 1, verse 67 through 80. And his father, Zechariah, was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied, saying, Blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us, to show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant, the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, look at this, might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness Before him all our days. And you, child, will be called the prophet of the Most High, for you will go before him, you will go before the Lord to prepare his way, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins, because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, to guide our feet into the way of peace. Verse 80, and the child grew and became strong in spirit, and he was in the wilderness until the day of his public appearance to Israel. Let's pray. Father, this is your word that you have given to us, your people. I pray that you would cause us to be encouraged this morning. I pray that you would destroy any fear that we have. That is not from you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. 
Well, as we are getting started this morning, I want to begin by asking you a question. And I want you to think of what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? What, what scares you? And I don't care who you are. Everybody has something that they are scared of. And, you know, this week I decided to go to Google and do a search and see what, uh, what are the top things that people fear most. And I found this graph right here from the Washington Post. I don't think you can read it, so I'm going to go over here and read it for you. At the bottom here, uh, this is like 25%. So this is, you can see this is the top, this is the bottom. At the bottom are ghosts. See if you can relate to this list here. Ghosts, clowns, darkness. This is, a, this is a strange one here, zombies. Is anyone here afraid of zombies? Just raise your hand. Okay. How about clowns? How many people are, okay, all right. I don't know why zombies is on there, but anyway, strangers, flying in an airplane, claustrophobia, blood and needles, Drowning, bugs, snakes, other animals, heights. And then notice at the top here, if you'll go to the next slide here, you'll see that the number one thing that is at the top of this list is public speaking. Public speaking. I think that's very interesting. Uh, this is not just at the top of this list, but if you go on Google and check that, don't check it right now. But public speaking is often at the very top. This is the very thing I'm doing right now. And, you know, we're always... Uh, often afraid of the things that we feel threatened by. And so it's interesting to me that public speaking is at the very top of the list of what people fear. And I don't know, um, you know, I think that I would love for everybody in the church to do announcements at least one time. At least one time so that you could appreciate the people that come up here and give announcements week after week. You wouldn't daydream. You would pay attention to the announcements that are given. And the reason I say that is because I don't know how many times I've talked to somebody and said, hey, will you do announcements? Sure, I'll do announcements. That, that's nothing. They get up there and they, they give the announcements. They sit down and they said, I can't believe how nervous I was. I was telling my body, quit shaking, but it kept shaking. And I kept breathing higher as I was talking. Anybody can relate to that, public speaking? Now, that is something that, if you know my testimony, you know that when we planted the church, that was one of my greatest fears, uh, to get up and talk and preach. But I had to, God has given me grace to overcome that. But it's true that public, public speaking can be intimidating. And I believe it's mainly because of, of one thing, and that is a thing called the fear of man. You know, we all want to be liked, don't we? We want to be accepted. We want to be thought of well. We want to be respected by our peers. And when you get up and you speak publicly, you realize that everybody's eyes are on you. And you can just feel like they're judging you for everything that you're saying. And, and if, you know, if there was a list uh, of what Christians fear most, I believe that there would be a kind of public speaking at the very top of that list. Um, it would be uh, a public speaking about Jesus. We call it sharing your faith in public. But Christians fear telling others the good news about Jesus. Now, listen, when we're together, when we're gathered together like this, we're not afraid, are we? We're praying to Jesus. We're singing to Jesus. We're declaring to Jesus. I am preaching about Jesus. There's no fear. But once you step outside and go outside these doors here and you go into the culture, 
where we work, where we live, where we play, mention Jesus. I'm not talking about God. Don't mention, are you a spiritual person? But mention the name of Jesus, and all of a sudden you feel like all eyes are on you. You feel like you're being judged. And, you know, just to prove my point that we are often afraid to to share Jesus, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but when was the last time, I want you to think about this, when was the last time you intentionally attempted to share your faith about Jesus to a coworker or to that person that's in the, the checkout line? When was the last time you attempted to share your faith with someone so that they would come to know Jesus? And this is something that is very important for us to evaluate as a church because as disciples of Jesus, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus tells us to go. He tells his disciples who believe in him, go and make more disciples of all the nations. And in order for us to faithfully and obediently do this, it means that we have to share Jesus, not only with our lives. Now, before I move past this point, we do need to live lives of love. We need to live lives of integrity. But it's not just living a good life before uh, the people in this culture. We also have to share Jesus with our mouths, both of them, verbally to share. uh, We need to verbally share the gospel. And, you know, there are a few people in here that I know uh, excel publicly speaking about Jesus, and, th- and they really do well at this. But I would venture to say that most of us in here are not so confident. I'm not gonna, again, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand uh, and to see if you're like that. But I, I know our church, and I know people, and, and I want uh, you know this morning to ask a question. Is that that may be where we are, but that's not where we need to stay, right? Be where you are but don't stay where you are. And the question I want to ask is, how can we grow in this? How can we overcome the obstacles that keep us silent, that keep us silent from sharing the good news to to those that God has placed around us, those who we love, those who we work with, those who we go to school with, those who are are perishing? how, How can we overcome this so that they can have the same opportunity that we were given to either accept Jesus or to reject Jesus. Well, guess what? If you're thinking, man, I would love to grow in this, today's passage is good for us because it is going to, from this passage, I'm going to show you four reminders that can aid us in our desire to overcome the fear of publicly speaking about Jesus. So let's go ahead and jump right in our passage because Number one, our passage reminds us of of the first thing I want us to see is that we have the Holy Spirit to lead and direct us. As we are considering sharing Jesus, we need to remember that we have the Holy Spirit to lead and to direct us. Look at verse 67. It says, And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and Prophesied. Now remember, again, Zechariah had been unable to talk for nine months. And being a Jewish priest, priest, I can't 
Imagine him not pouring over the scriptures during those nine months of silence and, and how those scriptures must have come to life as he had come to realize that the baby that was growing in Elizabeth's womb was not just an ordinary child, it was the child that was prophesied by Malachi 400 years prior that there would be a prophet in the spirit of Elijah that would rise up and go before the Messiah and prepare the way for him. That was his son. And how excited that he must have been. And so John is born, and what happens? Zechariah's tongue is loosed. And what does he do? It says that he was filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, that word filled with the Holy Spirit, what, what, what does that mean? Well, it means that Zechariah yielded and submitted himself to the Holy Spirit. He was controlled by, he was led by, he was influenced by the Holy Spirit. He wasn't resisting what the Holy Spirit was having him to do. And it says that he prophesied. He prophesied. Now, that can be a very mysteriously loaded word in some church circles, right? Prophecy. But it shouldn't be because, you know, prophecy is simply a message that's from God. That's what he's proclaiming. And to prophesy simply means to deliver that message under the influence of divine inspiration with or without reference to future events. It doesn't always have to deal with future events. And, and so we need to be reminded, listen, that every believer, every believer who has come to Jesus has been given the gift of the Holy Spirit. He dwells within us. Jesus did not leave us alone as orphans to walk alone. Look at John 14, verse 26. Jesus says this to his disciples on the night of his arrest. He says, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. We're not alone. And like Zechariah, who was being led and influenced by the Holy Spirit, and, and he delivered the message that God gave him, we too have not been left alone. We have been given the Holy Spirit to lead us, to lead us to the right people, to influence us and to teach us what to say, what to do, what to say, as we seek to speak publicly and to deliver the message that God has entrusted to us. That's the first thing that we need to remember. You're not alone. God has not called you to do this alone. He's call, called us to follow the lead of the Holy Spirit. Secondly, we need to remember that we have the message that God sent the Savior to save us. This is our motivation right here. This is the message. We're gonna see the message of the gospel right now in this passage that, that we're about to go through. Verses 68 through 75 is the gospel. Let's look at verse 68. Zechariah begins by saying, blessed be the God of Israel. Israel. Now, notice that Zechariah is very specific as to which God he is blessing. He's not blessing the gods of nature that, that are found in Greek mythology. He's not just being a general God. He is specifically praising the God of Israel or Jacob. And Jacob was the son of the promised child, the child of promise, Isaac who was the son of Abraham, right? He was the son of Abraham. 
Zechariah is, is reminding, is being reminded of the promised Messiah and that he came through uh, Jacob or Israel. He's saying, I want to praise the one and true God, the God of Israel. Why? Why is he praising the God of Israel? Well, there's three things that we're going to see here in the next few verses. Three things that God has accomplished. Number one, look, it says that he has visited his people. Now, that word visited, it means to be present with. It means to be not just present, but be, to be present and concerned about someone. And that's what the message of the gospel teaches us, isn't it? The message of the gospel teaches us that we don't have a distant God who, you know, kind of wound up the universe like a clock and, and then set it down and backed off and let it go. No, he is a personal and up-close God who is concerned about the welfare of his people. That's our God. That's what Zechariah is rejoicing about. That's why in John 1.14, it says that Jesus left heaven and tabernacled, or he dwelt among us. Our God visited us. He is concerned about us. Secondly, we see that Zechariah is praising God because God has redeemed his people. God has redeemed his people. Now that word to redeem means to regain possession of it. Now let me ask you a question. Do you like sharing your possessions with other people? When someone says, hey, can I borrow your... It depends, right, on how expensive it is, right? Why is that? Why do we you know, kind of hesitate sometimes? Because people don't take care of your possessions like they take care of their possessions or like you take care of it. And you know that when you get that thing back, it's going to be broken. It's probably going to be broken. I've, I've, I've let some of my tools uh, out, and I realized if, you, if I share a tool, just write it off on your taxes because it's, it's going to come back broken. We don't take care of other people's stuff, possessions like um, like we do our own. And that's how we, just how we are. And God has made a way for us who were separated from God because of our rebellion to return to God, to be his possession so that he could take care of us. We've got to be willing to come under his care, but he has made a way to regain uh, possession of us, to take care of us, to be redeemed through Jesus. And then the third reason that Zechariah is, is uh, praising God is because of verse 69. It says, And the God of Israel has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. Now, Jesus is, here is being described as a horn of salvation. And that is typically not how we speak, do we? Like, hey, I'm in trouble. I wish I had a horn of salvation to save me. We don't speak like that. Now, what is he talking about here? Well, sometimes a, in, in the Old Testament, a horn of salvation refers to a vessel, like the one in the picture here, that held oil, and it was used by priests to anoint people with. It also could be uh, what's called a shofar's trumpet that would be blown, um, in the next picture, that would be blown in battle before the, the people would go out into war. But in this particular case, 
Jesus, our Savior, is being likened to a deadly weapon. The horns of a bull or a wild ox, like the one that's here in the picture. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever grown up on a farm or been around bulls that have horns. Let me tell you, you don't want to get in the way of them. Um, if you've ever seen anything like running of the bulls in Spain or a bullfighter, uh, the strength that, that a bull like that has with their head and their necks is incredible. If that bull gores you with the tip of that horn, if it gets it in you, it, it, it will pick you up, shred you like, like a rag doll. And that is what Jesus is being compared to. This is how the Holy Spirit directs Zechariah to speak as he describes what Jesus will be like for his people, a protector. Wouldn't you like to stand behind that bull if someone was coming to attack you? They would have to get through that bull to get through to you. And our Savior, our Savior is a horn of salvation. He's strong, he's mighty, and he's victorious over our, our enemies. And that's the third thing we need to remember, is that we have enemies. We have enemies that oppose us. Now, we just read that God has raised up a horn of salvation. Why did he do that? Verse 71 says, why? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. I think when, this, when Zechariah was speaking this, during this time, many of them were probably thinking, oh good, this Savior is going to save us from our enemy, Rome. But it's, it's much more than that, because this applies to us also. He repeats it again in verse 74. He says, that we, being delivered from the hand of our enemies, might serve him without fear, in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. We have enemies that seek to oppose us. And just to give a quick definition of what I mean by enemy, an enemy is anything or anyone that opposes you and threatens to harm you by keeping you from accomplishing your desired goals. Uh, for example, I think that everyone in this room wants to be in shape, right? You want to be in shape, but the truth is we're not all in shape and we're not always in shape. And uh, we have enemies, don't we? We have right now the, the enemy of the holiday season is upon us. Now, I bet you that some of you have resolved that you're going to get in shape after the holidays. You're going to wait till after the holidays to get in shape because, I mean, who gets in shape during the holidays? So the holidays pass and it's winter. You're like, you know what? It's too cold to get in shape right now. I'm going to get in shape during spring. When spring comes, I'm going to get in shape. Then it, there, what's there? Pollen. Okay, when the pollen's down, I'm going to get in shape. And then what happens? The pollen's down. You get into summer. Man, it is too hot. Nobody, who in their right mind would try to get in shape in this heat? Then the fall comes and holiday season. You know what? After the holiday season, I'm going to get in shape. That's an enemy, isn't it? It's procrastination. It's putting off what you should be doing today. And in a similar way, when it comes to accomplishing our goal, when it comes to being uh, obedient to the mission that God has given us, that is to be, that is to make, that is to grow, that is to unleash 
gospel-centered disciples of Jesus to proclaim Jesus publicly. Scripture teaches us that we have enemies that seek to oppose us, to keep us from accomplishing the, the goals that we desire to glorify God. And they're on this, the, there's three of them, the devil, the world, and the flesh. The devil, the world, and the flesh. Now, the devil is the father of lies. He was back in the garden, and he seeks to convince us of what he convinced Adam and Eve of. And what is that? Is that God, he's your enemy. Your enemy is not me, it is God, because he is withholding what is good from you. And so it is better for you to leave God and try to live independently of his rule. Then you have the world, which is the kingdom of lies. This, now, when I speak of the world, I'm not talking about the earth. Uh, I'm not even talking about buildings and things like that. I'm talking about the world system that Satan oversees, that he uses to control, uh, that he uses to control people with. And, and this is uh, what the world tells us is that this is all there is. He says, look around you, what you can see, this is all there is, so you better get yours now. Don't lay your life down. Don't become a servant. Give your heart, your mind, and your soul to this life fully. Obtain what you can get now, because this is all there is. And then there's the flesh. There's the flesh. And this, the flesh is enemy number one. Because look, you could take, get rid of the devil, get rid of the world, and I've still got me to deal with, the flesh the king and queen of lies. It's not our bodies, not, not the physical bodies, but it's indwelling sin that seeks to convince you that you are the center of the universe and that you deserve to be in charge and you deserve for everything to exist for you. You believe that everything exists for you, not for God, but for you, for your comfort and your glory. See how the enemy turns everything upside down? Takes us away from the truth that everything is for God and for his glory. And all three of these liars are enemies of our souls. And it is their collective goal. It is their mission. They have a mission, just like we have a mission. They have a mission to discourage us, to, to say, just give up, quit. Quit trying to follow Jesus it's not worth it. To silence us, you know, why, why are you putting yourself through that? People don't want to hear about Jesus. And by the way, it doesn't work anyway. Tell someone that Jesus died for their sins. I know it saved you, but it's not going to save somebody else. Our enemies seek to render us useless as disciples of Jesus and to hinder us from making his name and his kingdom known. And we are in a war. I hope we realize that we are in a war. But my question to us as the church is, are we engaged in the war? How do you know? How do you know if you're engaged in the war? I like what John Bloom says. Here's how you know. He says, try taking spiritual territory from cosmic powers. And you know what happens? All hell begins to break loose. We are assaulted with oppressive psychological warfare. We are tempted to suspect people we love. Sickness hits. Relationships go sideways. Churches strain at the seams and more. 
I like this. If you've been in the battle, you know what I mean. Press against a spiritual stronghold of evil, and very quickly, our flesh will scream at us to get away from there. When we begin to engage in the battle, we will engage with these enemies. They will come against us, and life a lot of times gets more difficult at first than easy. We have enemies that oppose us. But the good news is that we have a Savior, Jesus, our horn of salvation, who has conquered all three of these enemies. And, you know, if you're in Jesus, if you are his disciple, if you are his brother, if you are the son of uh, a child of God through Jesus, uh, there was a point in your life when the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, in his kindness, he, he drew you to Jesus. In kindness, he did it. And he opened your eyes to some things. He opened your eyes to your sin. He opened your eyes to your separation from God. And he opened your eyes to the emptiness of life. But you know what the good thing is? is he didn't leave you there. Because he convinced you of something. He convinced you of the truth, and that is that God loves you, that God doesn't want you to perish in your sin, and he convinced you that God sent his son from heaven to do what you could not do, that is, live perfectly. He sent Jesus to live perfectly for us so that he could be the perfect sacrifice on our behalf. He convinced you that Jesus was punished in your place for your rebellion against God when he was nailed to the cross, when he died. And he convinced you that he defeated Satan. And when he died, he did defeat Satan on the cross. He conquered sin and death by rising from the dead. And what happened when you realized that, when you really realized that by his spirit, you surrendered your life to Jesus. He said, I want you. I'm I'm done with these enemies of life. And then what did Jesus do? He filled you with his spirit to empower you to walk privately and publicly without fear, to proclaim the glory of God through knowing Jesus. And so if we are going to overcome our fears of public speaking about Jesus, Number one, we have to be reminded that the Holy Spirit is there to lead and and to direct us. We need to be reminded that we have the message that God sent the Savior to save us. We need to be reminded that we have enemies that oppose us, that have been conquered, that have been defeated. And lastly, and this is what I want to close with, is that we need to remember that we have, those of us who have come to Jesus, have a mission that has been entrusted to us. And it's, it's similar to the mission that God entrusted to John the Baptist. Verse 76, I want you to imagine Zechariah holding his little boy, his little baby in his arms. How proud this daddy was when he looked down. He said, and you, child, you will be called the prophet of the Most High. 
For you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins because of the tender mercy of God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. Now, you know, obviously we are not John the Baptist. There's only one John uh, the Baptist. And, you know, later in Luke verse 28, Jesus is going to proclaim that among those born of women, none is greater than John. We are not John the Baptist, but our mission is very similar to his. In that Jesus, just as John was commissioned to go before Jesus and prepare people for Jesus. In a similar way, we have been commissioned to go before Jesus and prepare people, not for his first coming, but for his second coming. Jesus is going to return. And we have been commissioned to give light to those who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death. Do we realize, church, do we realize that we are surrounded by precious souls who are sitting in darkness and in the shadow of death? And we have been given the hope of the light of Jesus. And so I just want to close. I want you to ask yourself and be truthful about this. Are you publicly living on mission to make Jesus known? Where are you and I really at? Do you, let me ask you this, do you, do you believe that God still wants to save souls and bring more children into his family like he did you and me? Do you believe that God wants you to be a part of what he's doing in this day and age? Are you, in other words, are you publicly living on mission to make Jesus known so that through your words and, and your life, people will get to see who Jesus really is? There's, there are so many false views in our culture about who Jesus is. And we have been given the privilege of being able to live in a way that it shows people who Jesus is. And it gives them the same opportunity that we were given by God to either, you know, accept Jesus or to reject Jesus. And I just want to be clear that we, Jesus never forced himself on anybody. He told people, count the cost. If you, I want you to come to me, but count the cost. He never forced himself on anybody, and, and we are not going to do that either. Are you publicly living on mission to make Jesus known? And if your answer is yes, man, I want to praise God with you, and I want to encourage you to keep being faithful. And I also want to ask you that you would help those of us who are struggling with this and encourage us. That's one of the reasons that God has you in this body, is to encourage us. But what if your answer is no? What if, I mean, if you're really sitting there and you go, you know, I don't know the last time I shared the gospel with anybody. What if that's, what if that's your answer? Well, I want to uh, 
just pull from Pastor Terry's sermon last week and just give the same application he gave last week, but apply it to, to today's sermon. Number one, and like I said, and I said this earlier, we need to be a church that you be where you are, but don't stay where you are. So if, if your answer is no, the first thing you need to do is confess it. Admit it. Agree to God. God, I am not living on mission to make you known. I am not. That, that is the truth. And then second thing is identify why. Why are you not doing that? Is it because you're afraid to share the, your faith? Is it because you're lazy? Is it because you're apathetic? Is it because you're distracted by other desires in the world, other pursuits in this world that are taking your heart away from the kingdom? Is it because you're comfortable? Now, that's one of the things I've had to wrestle with. All of those actually is what I've had to wrestle with personally. But I don't know how many times, you know, since we've moved into this building that I've had people say to me, and it's not just one person. So if you said this to me, it's not just you. They said, you know, James, I really miss being at Westwood. And I'm like, really, why? Because, I mean, when you walked in there, it just felt so cozy, right? Can I get an amen? I love that place. God gave us that place for six and a half years, and we grew there, and it was cozy. I loved it, but we were too cozy. We were too cozy. If we had stayed there, we were beginning uh, to be, what is it when like a, a lake doesn't, Stagnant. We were getting to be stagnant because we were not in a community reaching the community, community that we are in. And that is one of the main reasons that we decided to move here. And it's not been cozy. It's difficult at times. I praise God. I love what's going on here. But it's not cozy anymore because we are entering into a new stage, entering into the war in a deeper way. And so I've had to identify that in my own life because I felt, man, I used to, I would go there at Westwood and just on Saturday nights and sit down in there and go, man, I, I praise you, God, for this place. But God has moved us to another location to grow. And so I would encourage you to identify why is it specifically that you have not been sharing your faith and then repent and believe in the gospel. Believe that Jesus died for our disobedience. Believe that. Receive that. Receive his forgiveness. That is so crucial. You don't have to live with guilt. Just confess it and repent. And then walk in keeping with repentance. In other words, what's your next step now? Now that you've confessed that, what's your next step? And I'm going to give you two applications, two things that anybody can do for your next step. Number one is ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. Every week we say, hey, at the end of the service, I'm going to be down here. Pastor Terry's going to be here. And you don't have to come talk to us. Talk to somebody if you need to pray with someone. Ask for prayer. You know what I've done? I was feeling this last year when I'm sharing with you, hey, we're not, I'm not going, I'm not around sinners enough. I'm a sinner, but I mean unbelievers. And so I asked my, my um, MC, my missional community, would you start praying for me about this? And then we prayed about me becoming a uh, substitute teacher here. And I've asked my MC, I said, you know what? I also realize I don't care enough about lost people. 
Will you pray for me in that? And so my MC has been praying for me about that. And I have begun to see, number one, I am a substitute teacher here now. Number two, I'm seeing a passion beginning to be ignited in my soul, afresh for people who don't know Jesus. Why? Because people are praying for me. God answers his prayer through his Holy Spirit. So I want to encourage you, ask someone to pray for you. Again, me and Pastor Terry will be down here at the front at the end of the service, but you don't have to come talk to us. Talk to other believers who can pray with you. And, and um, I'm going to use the word accountable, but I don't mean like we're going to hold you accountable, but they can pray for you and ask you, hey, how's it going in that area? And then the last one, the second one I want, want to encourage you to do is as you ask someone to pray for you, ask God to show you one person that he has put in your sphere. Just one person, and don't even go talk to him. Don't talk to that person. Once God shows you who it is, unless God tells you to, but I'm not saying go talk to him, begin praying for that person. Just begin praying for that person. Ask God to give you a desire to see them come to, to know Jesus. Ask God to give you wisdom. Ask the Holy Spirit to lead you in what to say. Begin praying for that person. And then that, what I want to do, and we're, gonna, we're planning to do this uh, as we're moving forward as a church, pray for, for people individually, that they will come to know Jesus. You know, God loves us, and we know that church, and God uh, sent us a Savior whose name is Jesus. And one of the reasons that he sent the Savior was to free us from our enemies so that we can serve him without fear. So I want to encourage you this morning to go to him and ask him to help you to take the next step, whatever that is, so that he can be known in the world in which we live. Amen? Amen.